0: From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT
1: with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome everybody to episode 162 of the Killing It It podcast. Oh, Dave! It sounds like you got a sore throat there. I might be fighting something. Actually,
0: (laughs) Sharon definitely has something, and we know it's not COVID. Uh, And I have—I may be right on that edge of like "Ah, I think my body may be saying it's fighting it, but it's successfully fighting it. I think
1: you need to create a tipsy treat for uh, spring colds. Well,
0: that would be—I will pass that one on. (laughs) She she has them very linked to holidays. For anyone who's who looks for our tipsy
1: yeah so so just for folks who are not in the know why don't now that i've given you the slow pitch why don't you tell them about your other uh, show
0: well my wife wishes she had a cooking show so we have one it's called tipsy treats with shaz and dave it's on youtube uh you are welcome to see the show that she is entirely in charge of and i show up for where, where, where we make a cocktail uh usually almost always one i have no idea what we're doing when we start filming comedy ensues
1: <laughs> well the, and the best part about it is the look on dave's face as uh sharon is describing what they're going to do and he's like looking at the camera and kind of smirking like uh, god knows what's going to happen next exactly
0: what's going to happen with this one. <laughs> one of my friends actually says that his favorites are the fails when the drink is awful
1: right, right. <laughs> well especially because sometimes when the drink is awful you're like ah that's like seven ounces of alcohol what the hell
0: <laughs> i will say my wife has never wasted one ever So I may not enjoy it, but she finishes them all. But our fun question this week, gents, do you yell at the TV? Like when people are being stupid or when watching sports or both, do you yell at the TV?
1: I have to say I do, and I'm 98% of the time alone when I do it. So it's not like I'm sharing this experience with somebody and, you know, I'm just like hoping the neighbors are not listening.
2: Well, see, that's the thing. You, you, in in a karmic sense, you really hope that the people on the TV can sense your disapproval because that's exactly why I do it. I'm not there to change anybody's mind who's in the room with me. Now, like I started when I was a kid yelling at sports, and then I would, you know, yell at people on stupid things. I find, unfortunately, like in the last fifteen years, I yell at the news more than I yell at everything else combined and no that's not going to change anything but it makes me feel better I do I
0: rarely yell at the tv I I mean I want to say you can't say no because I have on very rare occasion yelled at the television but it's very rare like as a general rule I am not
2: yelling at the tv much Uh, more reasonable individual well, I,
0: I more more if I have a reaction, I end up texting someone or
1: <laughs> or, or going to one of my friends. It's not side like proof. I have a, a a lengthy and considered argument. It's usually something like, "What the? Oh my god, are you, so, are you stupid!" And then I go get a drink.
0: So I guess maybe yes. <laughs> well. This week, we're brought to you, our friends at Acronis. Are you still relying on a frustrating patchwork of legacy solutions? Modernize your cybersecurity and data protection with Acronis Cyber Protect Cloud. It's a single solution that combines backup, anti malware, and endpoint protection management. As an MSP, you can easily improve your client's security posture, eliminate complexity, and generate more recurring revenue. Learn more about Acronis Cyber Protect Cloud at Acronis.com.
1: So, our first topic today is it could be very simple, but we don't do simple on this show. And I want to take a very complex view of the question should businesses embrace or run away from social media? And obviously, you know, the news, which we've tried to not cover (laughs) directly on this show, is with Elon Musk and and Twitter. But more broadly, with social media, if you see this medium essentially deteriorating, deteriorating into uh, chaos. Uh, And then you say, well, wait a minute, I wasn't talking about Twitter, I was talking about Facebook (laughs) or Reddit, right? Or something else. Um, Should you be involved? Like if you are a business, is it good for your business to be involved with something that is essentially unstable? Uh, And and just a tiny side note, I would add that Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post, so we can throw them in as well. Is it good for those businesses to be involved? Is it good for your business to be on that platform, um, not knowing what that platform is going to look like in 20 minutes? All
0: right. So I got to weigh in because I have a very bold position on this. First of all, I don't think you have a choice. I think you have to wade in to the broad online ecosystem of communities and of communications that your customers engage to. The moment you get into specific platforms, that's where it can be a yes, no, but I don't think you have a choice of you must engage. I'll observe you have two advertising platforms for most B to C realm. You've got to be on either Google ads or Facebook ads. You pretty much don't have a choice. You get into business, you can probably widen that some, but I will offer that when I look at the way your customers are communicating in the modern realm, you have lots of options. You do not have to be on all of them. And being on, I'm putting in those air quotes, can mean different things. You have to listen where your customers are for sure. How you choose to engage them may be different and it may not be there, <laughs> or you may find the other ones. And I, and I also wanna give a space for not all online communities are toxic and garbage. There are lots of places where the, the online engagement is very strong. And by the way, it can be very strong on generally toxic platforms. There are subgroups of say, for example, Twitter, where it's a delightful place. It's about how well they have f- um, curated their feed. So you're exactly right. Like there isn't one broad answer, but I think that one answer that is broad is yes, you have to, you do not have a choice.
2: Well, and and see, that's where where the reasonableness of this conversation comes out. The gut reaction to any right-thinking individual is, ew, that's gross, and I don't want to have that associated with me personally, professionally, or with the brand of my organization. But the more considered uh, analysis is it is the modern form of communication and promotion that if you choose to cut off your nose to spite your face and just deliberately not participate. That's cool, but you've just cut off a massive form of exposure, communication, and promotion with your target audience. I think it comes down to what you're saying, Dave. There is a deliberate strategy and a way to use various platforms of social media for productive business objectives, but that does not require that you hang around and participate in the flow of sewage, right? You you don't have to sink down into those conversations. You can create one-to-one communication with customers. You can either create or participate in online communities where the, the content is reasonable and valuable, and you can use it as a listening tool to hear what your customers are saying. I think all of those forms are valid, but it does require a conscious choice and a deliberate strategy. It's not enough to just do the social media. You got to do this thing on purpose. And just because it's free to put messages out there does not mean that social media as a tool is a free media device because it requires much more forethought than just placing an ad on the radio.
1: Question to both of you, uh, should i be careful and say well i will speak on linkedin because it's a a platform that has not yet become dominated by stupidity and misinformation uh or should i be on all of them and just try to associate myself with the with a certain thing that fits my brand and avoid those communities that don't fit my brand or or can you ever really disassociate when all your stuff shows up next to somebody else's stuff
0: Well, there's, there's an inherent problem in the question, which is the the assumption that you get to, you get to the thinking that you get to control the messaging, right? That's a very classic marketing sales engagement, uh, model. And it's not true anymore.
1: I control my output. I don't control that. It sits next to somebody else's output.
0: That's the second part of the answer is, is that I believe that you as an individual and you as your brand as a company should. Act uh, act in a very authentic manner, and you as long as you keep that authenticity, you act the way that you want to act. It actually is okay. You can generally find a way to do that in every medium, and I will always smile and go because you don't have to respond to everything. Not answering is always
2: an answer. <laughs> right? uh, See that and that's. I think that's a valid point. I think what's. What's interesting is if, you know, all that's required for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. I think if everybody with a reasonable argument to make abandoned social media, then by definition social media would have no reasonable opinions on it. If however, you populate it with good and valid authentic content, then people might actually prefer it and might seek it out and use that for the 45 minutes that they're going to spend on their screen time instead of just trolling people on Twitter, right? Like that, that could cause more content.
1: I, from time to time post up on Facebook, what I think is a lengthy and reasonable argument about something. And I get a bunch of immediate kind of thumbs up, Yahoo, thanks for saying something, followed by the extremes slowly taking it over. And like, I will check it out three days later, they're still yelling at each other. (laughs) Right, <laughs> and all the moderate people have shut up after. Well, the so,
0: but I'll offer two two things. First off, you don't have to play in the comments. It literally is your feed. In that case, so you can do what you want. That is your feed, right? You're the controller right. That's of why that I say device. I check
1: in three days later because I'm not. I'm not right. responding to everything. And
0: and and so, what other people choose to to waste their time on is also not my problem. Uh, <laughs> is uh, I am I have offered my position and i don't necessarily need to get into the scrappy bit of it and i always i look at it and say like i'll just go concentrate on the things that that actually make a difference in in that i've offered it here's it's useful for others you can now take action on it i don't need to
2: spend a bunch of time defending it if you don't agree with me well that's okay too like well Well, and, and but to your point to your point carl it's It is your brand that put that thing out there, and then if it turns into accessible, then later on, people will be like, you know, Carl says interesting things, but then the trolls come out, and I really think I'm not up for that, so I'm going to avoid the things that Carl posts because they tend to be a magnet like that. You don't want that to get associated with you, so there is a certain amount of active... Disengagement. What I mean by that is, you have to tell people, that's not cool. Like, that's not what we're doing here. Uh, if you guys go way back, there was a book written, it was in 2007, called The Cult of the Amateur. And, and the whole concept of that was exactly what you started with, Carl. All opinions are equal, and therefore mine, even though I'm not educated, not considered, not experienced, is every bit as valid as yours with PhD and advanced years of experience, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Bullshit. No, it's not. That's absolutely not true. And in 2007, their use case was MySpace, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> the, and, and it was turning into a cesspool. And you go back and go, so
1: quaint. An amateur cesspool. <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> moving right along to another area where uh, they're full of consequences. Uh, I wanted to share an article that came, we saw in, on Vox titled, uh, Data Breaches Happen Constantly. And the, co- and the consequences are question mark. And I laugh like I wanted to do something with this on Business attack, Tech, but I felt it was better for a discussion here because this article felt like everything that I have been saying for the past two years s- put together in a, in a version of it, where essentially the, co- the, the article walks through the, hey, there are rules and regulations around data disclosure for, 50, for all 50 states at this point at certain levels for data breach notifications, But by the way, they just keep happening and they keep having no apparent consequences. And I was, and I just look at this this whole piece and I said, oh, this is exactly what I've been saying. It says it so well, and I must share it. Gents, (laughs) when I shared this with you, what was your reaction to this article?
1: Well, my first reaction was this sounds very similar to the argument that you have made, which is that sometimes these big companies get, not data breaches, but uh, you know, security breaches and it turns out that they look at it and say, oh, that's 1% of my bottom line. I don't care. And they move on. And we, the, the buyers of those services don't do anything about it. It's exactly what's going on here. Uh, raise your hand if, you've, uh, if you're if you in Equifax. Oh, well, that's everybody on earth. Okay. <laughs> right. Raise your hand if, if you were in the, the Target uh, break-in or the Marriott or whatever. I think all my data has been stolen, I don't know, 12 or 15 times this week. Um, I think Everything we do with regard to security and, and these data breaches is stupid and wrong. And, and fundamentally, here's why the cat is out of the bag. Your data is already on the internet. I just need to go looking. It'll take me 20 minutes and $5, and I will have your social security number and your home address and all that stuff. We need to focus on making it unusable, which is why we've mentioned before. I will post my, and have posted my driver's license, my credit cards on Facebook, because you can't steal my stuff, right? I've taken care of that and, and you can make this unusable. You just have to go through the effort and there's a little pain and it's a little bit difficult, but it's not expensive. Um, and, and, we, and yet we treat it as if preventing the uh, corruption or preventing the stealing of data is where it's all at. I don't think that's where anything's at. I think it's a complete waste of time.
2: Well, see, and I, I think there's two levels to where you're going, Carl. Number one, it is impossible to prevent, so you have to figure out what you will do in the case of a breach. I had a really interesting conversation in a different uh, forum yesterday with a guy who, um, you know, a deep thinker, security professional, works at Cisco, but, you know, Participates in the deeper uh, kind of industrial driving side of the way that our, our world is happening. And, and we got into a conversation about, you know, everybody in the cybersecurity world is very fascinated with zero trust and whitelisting and air gapping and creating the preventive measures that say bad things cannot come in. And and he made a point he's like, it the, in a modern world, it is absolutely not. Logically valid to consider that any system is isolated. Everything is connected to everything, either electronically, digitally, or human ways, right? Like, it's the, the vast majority of things that go wrong are not because a hacker trumped your systems and got through all of your firewalls, et cetera, et cetera and, and stole your data. The, the reality is it's, it's almost always human right like i made a mistake the guy that you know copied and pasted a file did it wrong he lost his laptop or whatever that stuff happens there is no such thing as isolation the only responsible way forward is to say if and when it happens what should i do and there like you're saying carl there's preventive things and then there are management things that you can do uh, i believe that one of the management responses to your point dave has to be Consequences. I, th- I think that socially, societally, as well as economically, there ought to be some responsibility scorecards, right? Some things that say, if you didn't do your due diligence to do your part in our interconnected digital world, then either you should pay a price or at the very least you should be shunned because it's on all of us to make this a little less shitty.
0: Well, and I, where I've been thinking about it a lot is because everyone wants there to be a single answer, right? I will, we will increase the cost here and that will solve the problem, right? It will go away because it is too expensive. What I actually think the solution is, is that by, you raise the cost across the board so that the cumulative cost becomes the deterrent if you think about it the way you're spending in a budget situation right like when when you start comparing things the, the you it's not the one single choice to add on the new feature to the car. It's the fact that when I check all the check boxes, all of a sudden I get to the end and the total MSRP is too high. And so I have to, so, so I make new decisions because it's too expensive. This is the same thing. Everywhere along the line, it needs to be add up so that the end result is so expensive that it doesn't happen at the same level. Both on the attacker front and on the data collector side. Then when I think about it, if I think about it from an attacker perspective, I want it to be so cumulatively difficult that it is damaging to their business not because there's any one thing but when you add up well the fines are really high and now that the fact that might go to jail and that there's there's this expense and that expense and you drive it up that's one side and on the data collection side it's the same thing well if i collect too much data that's one thing and if it's released at this size and it's released to this this wide scope and if you just all of a sudden the cumulative level becomes too high it will make smarter decisions because remember the best choice is to not have the data to be leaked If you are much more deliberate about the investments, you know you have to collect some, so you are much more deliberate about what I take on to try and reduce my cost.
1: Yeah, it's almost like an analogy to the minimal viable product, right? How much, how little data can you collect and get your job done? I I do have to say, I think most of the issue should be on the what do you make make the data unusable side. But in terms of prevention, a lot of places ask for, for things that they just don't need. Uh, I remember registering my daughter for sixth grade and they had uh, one of the questions was social security number. And I'm like, are you paying my daughter? Why do you need her social security number? And I just refused to give it to them. And they let her go to school anyway. It turns out they don't actually need her social security number for her to go to school. Right? So, you know, we can limit how we collect it. And I think that's one of the good things that's that's being done. Um, but I think the rest of it is is just spending our our energy in the wrong direction.
2: Well, and see I think I think you're correct there. There are ways that you can minimize your own exposure, but there there there's has to be the backside of that that says if you collect it and you do not treat it responsibly, that's on you and we're we're all going to extract the price. The problem is Uh, that requires consumers to do things that are new and different. And most of the time, we're a little bit lazy and we don't do that. I've been, like you, Carl, I've been caught up in, like, all these credit card exposures and all the, you know, Target stores and all these things. And did that affect my behavior? Sometimes, right? Like, sometimes I said, I don't want to use that credit card company anymore. You are clearly a problem, and therefore I chose a different credit card company. Did I stop shopping at the same retail stores? No, I actually still go to that store. So, I'm, mean, you know, it's on us to extract the economic pain that they will then choose to be more responsible. Until that happens, nobody's changed it.
1: Just like viruses, I mean, this people become numb to this. Oh yeah, my data's been stolen. You know, like I'm sure it's been stolen by Coles and Penny's and you know Forever 21 and right. So they just like so they do nothing different. So
2: no. They're not going to, so we're going we're gonna to move on to a different topic here, gentlemen, where we might actually be able to make a difference, but I say might in, in very capital letters. So our third topic is going to be focused on the continuing, evolving way of working in our world, right? The new normal, to really scratch the, the chalkboard there for Carl, um, we're, we're going to talk about the new normal of employment, and specifically we're referring to a piece of research that was done by ADP, the payroll folks, they do a lot of global research with some very, very large sample sets to get a picture of what's going on, and one of the headlines that we're pointing to here says, if you require people to come back to the office full-time, will that have an impact on loyalty and longevity and job satisfaction? And what their data shows is, yeah, it will. And this is going to have not only, you know, some continuing problems in the very tight recruiting market that we're living in, but also the way that we work inside of our own organization. So uh, this is a very broad topic. I want to put it out to you guys and just kind of see in the new way of working and employing people, is it a valid risk to say, damn it, we're just gonna go back and do it the way we used to do it and require everybody to come to the office, no changes for our business, or what's the alternative strategy?
0: I'm shocked, shocked, I say, by this data. It was completely, completely. so I'll I'll plug a little bit on this, that I've got an interview coming out on the Business of Tech with the author of Running Remote. Um, I actually know that I've, I've taken some criticism from my own listeners a little bit, that I'm very focused on this this particular topic. And so I wanted to re-examine it to sort of say, like, am I right? Am I right in thinking that there's a, a big opportunity here? And I will, will sort of sm- smile and go, yeah, I think I'm right. Uh, <laughs> and I got some validation on that. But where what was interesting is, is that it's exactly this thinking of, I will manage it based on time, and I will manage it based on absolute, there's a lot more transformation that organizations need to do in order to be effective at, at being a remote organization. And it is not simply a decision about, am I in the office, am I out of the office? That that's, misses the point. There's actual managerial changes. There's process changes. There's culture changes. There's a lot to this, and uh, he, he uh, this author talked about panic remote workers, the the people that that were forced into it due to the pandemic, versus those that have made deliberate decisions to be remote workers and that they are actually two groups of people and that you have to and understand the differences and those in the new group are 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 not learning necessarily the proper you know, quote unquote proper, the most effective ways of being, you know, of using a remote world. And and for me, it's this element of, we're sort of trying to poke at this absolute, most of the surveys come around, no, no, this is, well, what would happen if you're fully remote? What would happen if you're three days remote? What if you're happening in one day? And it's like, that's the wrong question, everybody. The right, the right question is, how do I manage measurement of results, managing people, culture in an organization? Oh, and by the way, the reason I'm so fixated on this is that's really hard, and that's what consultants are really good at helping with. That's why I like it, because we all make money helping orgs get better at it.
1: Well, one of the reasons I like this topic is that I think we will be talking about this for a good solid five years, if not longer. I think we're just at a transition point where people are realizing that there are different kinds of work. And this is it's kind of like a 20-sided, one of those silly dice that hippies play with that uh, you know the, the topic can include age of the worker, it can include whether you're a knowledge worker or a manufacturing worker, whatever, um, and you know, as well as building your culture, worrying about your career. I mean, there's so much great research coming out of this in terms of, um, hey, if you're, if you're the one who actually shows up in the office, is this gonna be better for your career five years from now? If you're the one who insists on being remote, is it gonna be good for your career or bad for your career? Uh, We've talked on this show about managers who can't figure out how to to actually manage people, so they end up measuring how much their eyes move during the day, right? There's just stupidity as well as some serious stuff. I think we need to just figure out, if you could do a zero sum, what would this job be like? How much does it need to be in person? How much needs to be remote? Uh, some of that has to do with your career. Some of it has to do with uh, socialization and culture. Some of it has to do with profit. Oh, wait, we haven't even talked about that yet. Right. So there's many, many sides to this. And I just love that there's so much good research. One of these articles actually points to two other articles. I didn't, I'm didn't. i not going to hyperlink. I'm just going to mention them because the titles are so good, you know. If you think that your office is going to be filled with people, you're about to be very sadly disappointed, <laughs> right? So uh, I like the topic. I like the, the complexity of the conversation. And I do think the answer will be different in five years than it is today because everybody's going to be five years older and the, the society will evo- have evolved and the economy will have evolved.
2: Well, and and the underlying attitude about what is work will have evolved. I think that's exactly the right way to look at it, Carl. It's not a question of can you, but can you do it well, right? And it's not a question of, of, of should we do it this way or should we do it that way. I believe that what we've entered is a fundamentally new way of thinking about the world of work in which location is not a physical requirement right up until now that was an isolated very rare thing right the three of us all work remote and we have for a long time and we think it's normal and and have thought that for a long time but we were incredibly rare up until two years ago. If you do the actual math on the population, those who work either primarily or exclusively remote from their employer or from their clients, up until 2019, that represented less than 2% of the total working world. And now it represents something dramatically more than that. Now. Uh, having been in that situation for more than 20 years, and then looking at the rest of the world come crashing into this new mindset, there is a lot of hard learning that needs to go on. The My main takeaway from it right now is that being a locationless organization is a skill, and like most skills, most people suck at it. Most organizations have not done the hard work to do what you're talking, Dave, to talk about re-engineering business processes and designing communication and collaboration capabilities so that whether you are in the office or remote, it doesn't matter, right? And then how do you manage culture in or out of the office? Both of them can be done. I think that this is a permanent phenomenon, and I, uh, while I do believe that this data point in here that says 64% of the people said, if you told me I had to come back full-time, I'd quit and get a new job, eh, we all say a lot of things in surveys that we don't actually follow through on. But if it's not 64%, it's radically more than 2%, and that's where people need to
0: Right, it's, it's a number that matters.
1: <laughs> I would also say that, that one of the other variables that we haven't touched on yet is, what if this is your first job? Like you, the, the, since 2019, uh, you may have been, you have make, may have taken your first job in 2020, 2021, 2022, in which case you don't know what the real world is like and how you may not have this option to decide what your boss is going to pay you and how they're going to structure the organization and so forth. Uh, That's not normally a variable that's left up to the new employee. (laughs) Exactly. And and the one thing that I will say, right, I've been
2: recently doing a ton of deep research into this topic, and we've put together a, a series of workshops on building a business practice around collaboration as the technical platform, and then on top of that, the business consulting that goes with it. And what I will say is, the tools and the technologies are phenomenally more capable than they were even just two years ago. It's remarkable how well you can work from anywhere, if you know how.
0: Oh, and how to do it right, and that's not necessarily a technology question, it's a business process question, which is why I like it. (laughs) But I think we're, that is probably the way
1: we're going to run out of time. Exactly. And we are out of time, but we will revisit this topic. So we're going to put it in a little box right next to the burrito delivery robot, and we will visit it once again in the future. But for now that will do it for episode 162 of the killing it. Killing It it. Podcast.
2: Thanks for tuning in to the killing it podcast. Please share
0: with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.